everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 87 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm pleasured to be joined by Amy Rasdell from BillableAtTheBeach.com. Amy, thanks very much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Josh. I'm super excited to be here. Awesome, Amy. I'm super excited to ask you a whole bunch of questions because uh, not only do we have a lot of listeners and, and people that are you know trying to get into different versions of consulting or working from home, et cetera, et cetera, uh, but I've just always had a really big interest in business, in consulting, so really excited to hear more. But for those who don't know as much about you as I do, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about you and what you're working on right now? Sure. As Josh said, I'm Amy Rousel from Bibble at the Beach. I left my corporate job for consulting more than 15 years ago, and I love it. <laughs> so a couple of secrets that I always like to talk about is people have certain conceptions about consulting. Uh, many of them are true, but there's two common misconceptions, and those are that you can't make a lot of money. You can make a lot of money. You can make more than you were making in your corporate job. And I think a lot of people think it's kind of like a cop out, like you're just jumping off the career path, forget all those years of education, all that hard work that you did, you're just sort of abandoning, abandoning all of that. And that's also not the case. And we can talk more about that as we get into the show. But I love being an independent consultant, freedom, flexibility, control, great work, good pay. It's kind of like, you know, what's not to love about it. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that's really important to me is I like to work and play every day mm -hmm. and being able to set my own life allows me to do that. So whatever that means to you or me or any of the folks that are out there listening, I really love that. So a little bit more meat around that is I worked as a corporate person for many years. Um, I jumped off and started my own consulting business. So as I started doing my consulting business, one of the big things that you have to do is outreach to make sure that you have enough clients. As I started doing that outreach, I would have people who would come back to me and say, you know, Amy, I don't have a consulting project for you, but I've been thinking about doing consulting. Can we have lunch? And I would say, sure. And then I would think, well, what do I want to tell them? What do I love? What do I hate? What do I wish I would have known? What would I do differently? Because Josh, I have made all the mistakes. <laughs> I talk a lot about my mistakes and, and I talk a lot about here's what you shouldn't do in every single case that what you shouldn't do is because I did it that way and I learned it the hard way, right? And as I started getting more and more people asking me that and I started to accumulate this body of material, I thought, wow, it looks like the market really wants a program on how to build your own consulting business. Mm -hmm. And so about 12 years ago now, Billable at the Beach was born. Um, I started offline before there were podcasts and online programs and all that kind of stuff. And then a couple of years ago, I discovered I had never listened to a podcast before. I'm a bit embarrassed to say that. But now I've discovered this whole world where before I was mostly helping people more locally and now it it's a bit um, of a romantic reach to say really that i'm reaching globally but but i am i've had people in my programs from kenya and new zealand and hmm. these days don't we all wish we lived in new zealand because <laughs> they're living a much freer life than most of us right right at the moment but um so i i started billable at the beach because i really want other people to know that this kind of dream lifestyle is close. Mm -hmm. It's not a huge reach. There's there's nothing special about me. I'm just a person same as you and everybody out there who's listening. Awesome. Well, that definitely explains the URL, right? Billable at the beach. Uh, so now, now that we all know, and, and you've just given me a whole lot of uh, more topics I wanna dig into, but let's start first, Amy, at the beginning, we'll say, which is while you were, at least in what I'm curious about, while you were still working corporate, I'm curious to know what was it, like what was the kind of corporate work you were doing? And then can you tell us a little bit more about where your career and head was at at the end of that part of your professional kind of experience before you pulled the trigger and, and became a, an independent consultant? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I am a silicon kid. My dad was an early Silicon Valley semiconductor guy. So I grew up in a world of technology, although it's interesting, I'm going to back up just a touch because before that we were living in the Los Angeles area. And although we didn't live in Hollywood or Beverly Hills, it's kind of the world of Hollywood and Beverly Hills and fast pace and glamour. We moved to Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley at that point, of course, it was not yet Silicon Valley. It was full of fruit orchards. And we thought, what kind of agricultural community have our parents moved us to? And who know that that would become what now is Silicon Valley. But I grew up surrounded by technology startups. So my own dinner table, all the dinner tables that I sat around growing up in, in high school and junior high and all of that, everyone was doing technology startups. So I really didn't realize, I thought there was fruit orchards and technology startups and I didn't, <laughs> I just was never exposed to anything else, you know? Right. And so um, I, my original career goal was to be a, start, a technology startup CEO. So I started out as a software engineer I wrote code for a few years, oh, wow. then, which um, I loved, but you spend an awful lot of time sitting in your cubicle by yourself, which in later years would occasionally sound good, <laughs> but I didn't want to spend my career there. So I went to business school. Out of business school, I was lucky enough to fall into the world of medical devices and life sciences. And at that point, I still wanted to be a technology startup CEO. I had been in research and development, product development. So I went about getting all of my cross-functional rotations. I spent several years in marketing, operations, finance, because I wanted to be the big boss. Um, then I, I worked big corporate. I did some startups. I learned about venture funding and boards and raising money, angels, you know, that whole world of all that stuff. It was amazing experience. I loved it. Did a couple of bootstrap startups. Um, I eventually decided that being a CEO was overrated and underpaid, hmm. and I love being a consultant. So I really liked consulting, uh, sorry, corporate, wrong hmm. word came out of my mouth. I really loved my corporate years. And when I talk to people now about getting into consulting, I don't bash corporate. I, I talk to people and I say, you know what, if you love your corporate job and it's working for you, that's awesome. But mm -hmm. if it's not working for you career-wise or life-wise or you, you have some other things that you want to accomplish or you have an entrepreneurial idea, um, then you can do those things too. Right. So I had a good corporate experience. I definitely did have my brushes with toxic bosses and you know that kind of stuff that we bump into in that world. But I really love setting my own the way that I work, where I work, being able to work and play every day, what that means. Um, I really love all of those aspects of it too. Right, and I'm, I can only assume that that myriad of, ex, of experience has only made you that much better of a consultant, right? So people should not look at that as, you know, lost time, right? If anything, you're just crafting your knowledge and experiences so that if at some point you do want to turn to consulting or whatever it is, uh, you're that much better off, right? And, and so, Amy, what do you think, what ultimately, you know, made you pull the trigger and say, you know what, I'm done with corporate? How did you even learn about becoming an independent consultant? And, and what did that transition look like? So in my case, and this is not an unusual story, it was accidental. It was um, circumstantial serendipity as many of the greatest discoveries are made, whether it's for ourselves or products or, you know, there's the post-it note stories and even um, radiation, you know, all the mm -hmm. many of the greatest discoveries are accidental. So I, the last um, big thing that I did company-wise was during the internet boom. So for those of you who don't, haven't been round, round enough long enough to realize there actually was a time when there was no internet. <laughs> there was life before cell phones. I'm clearly establishing myself as a fossil at this moment. But um, so there was a time when internet was going crazy in this whole new frontier. It was really the gold rush of that time. 
Um, and we had this internet company and it was going fantastic and there the bubble burst. So um, our internet company really crashed and burned very quickly, which was surprisingly a, a, an amazing experience to really mm -hmm. learn about what that looks like and what that feels like and what not having enough cash to pay people really feels like and what that means and the responsibility and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I was, I was looking for my next, at that point I'm at the VP, you know, executive level. I was looking for my next executive level position. Um, and although the internet bubble had burst, there were still plenty of robust things happening in software and life sciences. So as I was looking for my next executive position, I was being pretty choosy at that point. I wanted to make sure it was a good fit, really fit with my values, my goals and all that stuff. A consulting project fell into my lap. It was 20 hours a week for three months. And I thought, oh, that's perfect. I can bring in enough money to cover the basics. I can kind of take my time and relax a little bit more about finding the perfect next job. I got four or five weeks into that and I said, cancel the job search. <laughs> this is the life. I'm now a consultant. Right. And I have never looked back. So when I first got started, um, it really was accidental. Right. And then I figured out, which is probably part of the reason why I made so many mistakes is that I just kind of dove in and figured it out. I, you know, there's the, the saying about, you know, changing the wings on the airplane as it's flying, you know, that was kind of how I approached it. Right. And can you can you tell us a little bit more about that first engagement? I mean, was it for a specific task or area that you were overly experienced in or, or kind of what was that like? And then once you decided, you know, this is the way to go, how did you move forward? I mean, what, what we talk about a lot and hear about a lot is, you know, do you niche down? You know, did you have a niche? Did you focus on a specific industry, et cetera, et cetera? Especially the first maybe three to six months. What did that look like for you? Right. So um, when I first jumped into it, now I had what your first question is, and I start my mind started racing the, all over the place. Yeah, and I what, lost what, it. Kind of, <laughs> what kind of project was it? Yes, yes. Okay, sorry. I had a great first project. So my very first project was for an organization called One Legacy. One Legacy is the United States National Organ Procurement Organization. Hmm. And so they are a regional organization that's responsible for procuring organs for donation and transplantation. So by procuring, it's a that sounds a little um, nefarious. It's strictly it's strictly donations. Right. But when it when an organ becomes available for donation, the United States is divided up into regions. So this was the organization that was responsible for that process and making sure that they encouraged as much organ donation as they could, and then actually responsible for getting them to the right places and people. And there's, it's as you might imagine, heavy, heavily regulated and there's priority systems, but they covered Southern California, including the Los Angeles area, which has every ethnicity and culture that you can possibly imagine. And with organ donation, it's, it's highly charged, of course, because it involves a loved one leaving us, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's it, it has all kinds of emotions tied into it. And then there are a lot of culture and religious things that tie into it. So they were doing a lot of outreach. They had worked with all the different religions and um, had everyone really coming together to increase the amount of organs that were available for donation. So they were launching a new brand and I was hired to kind of run the whole website and web mm. presence and internet presence of it. It was so interesting. It was such a great first project. Now what it really used, I had really deep and early skills from the internet world on doing all that stuff, which was still a little newer at that time. And it gave me the opportunity, which is one of the things that I really love about consulting is that I bring of all of my expertise and then I get to learn about all of these things that I would otherwise know nothing about. Mm -hmm. And then also that I felt like I was contributing to something that 
is really going to save so many lives. So it was just an amazing first project and experience. I loved it. Right. And, and as I went along, you, you asked, um, you know, what did you do next? How did you build the business? Did you niche down? Well, I'll tell you what I did. Um, I took up water skiing <laughs> and I went back to a whole bunch of dance classes because I'd been working so hard for so long that I thought, oh my gosh. And honestly, I was a pretty seasoned business person by then with a lot of relationships in the community. And one of the big, big, big mistakes that I made was for the first couple of years, I had plenty of work without doing any networking, marketing, business development. So I thought, oh, this was great. I'd get up, I'd go water ski, I'd work for a little while. The first, in fact, um, my husband and I laughingly called it billable in your bathrobe. <laughs> and so when I launched billable at the beach, I thought, well, billable in your bathrobe, that sounds, it, it was fun, but maybe a little too silly. So I kind of turned that, I live in San mm -hmm. Diego. I turned that into Billable at the Beach. So that's kind of mm -hmm. how that name was born. I, I think so that, that flows off the tongue a little better too. Yeah, it's a little, you know, <laughs> a slightly more professional or at least aspirational. But so that was a really big mistake. And because I had such strong relationships going in, I had enough work. But then I got a couple of years in and the dead spell started to stretch out and I didn't have enough projects. And then, and I mean, this is how I support my family. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Oh, what am I going to do is really a, a big turning point. And I thought, do I have to go back and get a job? Uh, mm -hmm. Or I have all this fancy business training, right? What, what about all those cross-functional rotations? What about that fancy business school? I have no excuse for why I wasn't treating my business like a real business, except that it was so much fun. Right. But then I had to get serious. And so then I started doing all those things, a marketing plan, outreach, um, marketing programs, you know, all of that stuff. I put a financial plan. I put that stuff into place. I really looked at everything and completely turned it into a business. Right. Once I got okay. to that And point. I want to ask about some of those details, but I also want to say that, say and ask that I'm sure you still did some work to get that business, right? It's one thing to have a great network. It's another thing to still be able to convert that network into business, right? Not that that's the only reason to have a network, but can yeah. you talk about for other people like you who may be leaving middle or, you know, however far into their career and they have built up a network, how did you handle that? What was your outreach like to the network how were you able to convert those, you know, maybe first few or, or handful of kind of connections into clients? And then I definitely want to hear about, you know, how did that marketing planning and strategy go? And, and you know, what would you recommend that others do so that they don't make that mistake? Right. So um, just a, a tiny bit more about what kind of consulting I do so I can give a little context for people to relate to it because consulting is a broad range. Mm -hmm. So what I do as a consultant and what I help people do now in Billable at the Beach is it's I am still doing very similar work as I did when I was in the corporate world. It's much more project-based now. Um, I have multiple clients. I don't just work for you know one company at a time. So, but the work that I do is still very similar. The other things are, you know, freedom, flexibility, control. I have a lot of control over the projects, how much money I make, but I'm still focused on corporate clients. Mm -hmm. So you talked a little bit before about the fact that all my experience and background really factors into that, and it does. So someone who wants to do the type of consulting that I do and that I help people do, you really need five, 10, 15 years of corporate experience before you're skilled enough to come in because what the clients want is someone who can really hit the ground running. I like to talk about that as a consultant, you really are a superhero with superpowers making super pay. So that to give, again, a little bit more context, and the other thing is also if one of the things that you're looking to do in your consulting base is make money, at least what you were making in your corporate job or more, then the easiest place to make that type of money is from um, corporations. Now, it doesn't have to be huge, but, but active companies. You know, I don't mm -hmm. consult for small businesses. 
I consult for either corporations or early stage startups are fine who have high revenue, high growth potential, because that's where the most revenue potential is for me also as a consultant and the people that I help. So just a little bit more context there. Mm -hmm. And the best thing to do first is really to use your own network. So I really fundamentally believe that most business at the end of the day, except maybe just things that are very transactional, like buying apples or a stepladder or something like that. But I'm sure in what you do and what most of your listeners do, it's very much based on relationships, right? It's about building mm-hmm. relationships. <clears throat> a lot of people who've been corporate employees, we talk about networking, but people don't always think that much about all the relationships that they've built through their professional careers. And it doesn't have to be only in your corporate world. It can be classmates. It can be, I have school age kids. It can be other parents that you meet when you chaperone field trips and that kind of stuff. Or you're at Little League or I water ski, the people that I water ski with. It's relationships that we have with everybody. So the best way to get started is to really build on those relationships that you already know because those people know you and they know that you do good work. Mm -hmm. So that's really the place to start. Eventually you do have to figure out. So honestly, those existing relationships, and I kind of think it about like a solar system in a way. So that existing solar system can often keep people busy for a couple of years. But what I also teach people to do, because this was a huge mistake of mine, is once you've kind of worked all the projects that those people have, because you can only do the projects that make sense for you, mm-hmm. right? If somebody needs tax planning, you know, uh, uh, tax work that, you know, I, I can't help them with that. That's not mm-hmm. what I do. My skill set's pretty broad, but there are certain areas that, you know, I don't have the skill set to do that. It's like I say, superhero, superpower, super pay. If you stay in your superpowered zone, then you make super pay and you deliver really high quality work. So um, eventually you work off kind of what's in your, in your own solar system and you have to be doing additional relationship building work. I call it little establishing little satellites out there that then will bring you new worlds of business as you go along so that you can always be maintaining. But I assume that other people work for the same reason that I do. And at the end of the day, I need to make money. Mm-hmm. That's why I work. And I believe that it's not a business or a job unless you're making money. So one of my big important things that I tell people in consulting, never work for free. Never work for free. This is mm-hmm. work. You do good work. You're valuable. You have to make money. But then you have to, after that, start doing, figuring out your outreach program to then build beyond because it takes some time to establish relationships. The Mm -hmm. ones that you already have, they're already there, but you need to start building it. So nine to 18 months down the road that then those turn into it um, when that time comes. Absolutely. So when you did reach out to just your network, how did you do it? Did you send personal emails? Did you start calling people? Uh, You know, especially for our listeners who might be, you know, ready to pull the trigger. Could you give us some like tips or, or actual tactics that might help them? Yeah, so I actually have a specific formula that I developed first for myself and I was using it. And then as I launched Billable at the Beach and I do a lot of speaking um, about how to start your own consulting business, there are three steps. I call it a little bit um, catchy, three action steps to generate revenue now. The other thing about me, before I jump, I'll jump into those three action steps. I'm a super practical person. Um, And I want to get, I needed to start generating revenue quickly because again, that's how I support my family. And I want you also to be able to generate revenue quickly. And that's how you, why you use your existing network to get started. So the first thing you need to do is put together kind of your little pitch. What is it that you do? What, you know, describe yourself as the superhero what is your superpower as it relates to kind of your corporate world? A lot of times there the struggle is 
um, people can do many things. So it can be a little bit of a struggle to figure out, okay, how do I want to position myself? What's the skill set that I want to lead with? And it's a little bit of a dance between what you're good at, what you love to do, and what the market will buy. So it's a little bit of a, a swirl there and you need to figure that out. Mm -hmm. So I have some specific ways to do that. So what I tell people to do is first, just, just come up with something. And I'm a big believer in done is better than perfect. You know, so you're not shooting for perfection. Just get a paragraph. It's just, it's just a short and sweet one paragraph, handful of bullet points, get that started and then reach out to a few of your business friends and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? Um, as you know me as a, as a business person and in my skill set, you know, does this line up? Does it make sense? And would you buy it? You know, act like you're one of my customers. Would you buy it? And you get people who give you little tweaks and adjustments. And that's really a way of incorporating the customer into the process because this at the end of the day is a sales pitch mm -hmm. and you want your customers to really, you want it to light them up. It's not about, you want it to light yourself up, but you also want it to light up your customers so right. that they'll purchase it. The next thing you do is you make a list. So, so that was step one. Step two is make a list, make a list of all the people that you want to tell. Now, I have a strong engineering background. So in my Billable at the Beach programs, I attract a lot of um, technical people. I, I work with all kinds of people, but this is a stereotype, of course, but those people tend to be a little bit more introverted. Some of them will come to me and they'll say, well, I don't have a hundred people. Everybody has a hundred people. I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. And some of us have three, five hundred, a thousand, but a hundred. So we work together and we just dig in and figure that out. Um, who is that list of people? And it's the list of people that you're gonna tell. And then the way I have people start, and it's important to note that this is just a start, but this is hot lead generation. So you are gonna blast out an email to all those people. Now I'm not talking about one email with hundred people in the BCC line, it's one by one but you're gonna let everyone know, it's tell everyone what you're doing. So you take your little paragraph, you take your list and you start doing your outreach. I tell people to start with email because it's hot lead generation. What you're looking for out of those hundred people is somebody, all these people you kind of know, they all at least know who you are. Some of them have worked with you for years and know you really well you're looking for somebody who already knows that you do good work that's already done that's everybody on the list has a project that's appropriate for your skills and they can pay for it they either have or can find the budget or money to pay for it so those are hot leads now i have been this makes up the foundation of my own business development system for my consulting practice which is how i came up with this system to begin with I've taught it to hundreds of people now. And on average, out of every hundred, you get back three to five people who say, you know what? Wow, I can't believe that you called me right now or you know, reached out to me right now because I have this thing. I think it might be perfect for you, let's talk. And out of those three to five hot leads, odds are you'll close one or two of them. So it's a system that really works. Now, eventually you have to reach beyond that but there are times when you can do that and you can land a project and be generating, doing billable work next week. Mm -hmm. it, it can be really fast because you're taking advantage of those relationships that you already have. Mm -hmm. And you're not trying to convince everybody all this stuff. You're kind of just like doing a big blanket thing, hitting them, looking for the hot leads, you know, turning over a whole bunch of rocks really quickly, looking for the, you know, the hidden Easter egg or whatever it is. After that, then yes, you have to get out there. You have to do personal, re you know, personal outreach. You need to have lunches and coffees and be in person, but that's a way to quickly surface some really good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it makes a ton of sense just from a logical standpoint, as you were saying, so, Amy, how broad or not broad should somebody go with that paragraph, right? Like someone like you, 
you had so much experience in a wide variety of different industries, domains, etc., etc., right? And, and we've all heard the argument for niche versus not niche. In your case, you probably could have consulted on a hundred different topics. How, how broad, you know, like let's say someone similar to you with a lot of, you know, a lot of general business experience. Do you approach people and say, I am a, you know, I'm a business consultant, which is obviously extremely broad, but might also attract a lot of products. Should you, you know, carve out more specific from there? Love to hear your thoughts on that. So that is a great question. And it's a huge struggle for many people at the beginning and was a huge struggle for me. The more focused you are, the more success you will have. So it's really hard, but you must pick a focus. Mm -hmm. So the people who are super focused. So I had one person who was a PhD toxicologist. She worked with certain kinds of molecules. Mm -hmm. She was great because she was already very focused for me. Just like you said, I was trying to be CEO as a general per business person. I had to pick. And this makes people, uh, people aspiring consultants really nervous because you feel like, well, I have all these skills. If I focus and leave all this stuff off the table, I'm not going to make as much money, but it's not true. And so just, just put yourself in the shoes of a customer. And I come to you and I say, Hey, Josh, wow. It's so great to meet you. Here's what I can do. Uh, um, I can do anything. You have a project, I can make it happen. You're in that industry. Oh yeah, that's fine. I can do any industry, any project, mm -hmm. any functional area, which honestly, I believe I can. There's no way that you're gonna believe that. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. you really need to focus. So for me, I started out um, software, medical devices, kind of get it done. I talked a lot about bridging the gap between marketing and product development because I had several years of experience in both camps and in the corporate world, um, product development and marketing are kind of diametrically opposed, you know, in certain ways there's, that's always kind of two different battleground camps and it's, and it's rather unique for someone to have spent several years in both of those areas that really can speak engineer and also speak marketing and really bring that together. So that was one of the first focus areas that I chose, but hundred percent, the more focused you are, the better off it is. And that's a good thing to really test. And it makes people nervous, but here's the thing. You need to pick something to start with. Now, as you get into your clients and as you start to build business, then once you get in, then projects will start to come up that you can use all of your other skill sets and areas for. Right. But you really need to focus to get in with people who don't, especially people who don't already know you well. Right. Focus is really important. Yeah. And I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, once you get in with, you know, maybe now you've done, you, you focus down and you get in the door with five, 10 companies, I'm sure they must come back and say, hey, Amy, by the way, you know, we also need help with this you know, thing that you didn't initially get brought on to do, but it happens to be in your wheelhouse. Is that something that happens a lot? Well, they'll come back and say, hey, can you also help with this? And now it's kind of like a natural expansion of your niche. That happens all the time. So here's an interesting statistic. My most typical proposal is for three month project. My most typical engagement is nine to 18 months right. for exactly the reason that you're talking about. And I actually tell people, <clears throat> I don't want you shooting for five or $10,000 projects. I want you shooting for projects that are 30 to $50,000 or more. Hmm. And I'm often working with people who are at approaching or above six figure incomes. Um, so I want you to shoot bigger because oddly enough, it takes more work to land a project with a smaller client for $5,000 than it does to land a $50,000 project with a larger company. But don't be afraid if it looks like it's going to be a little smaller at the beginning, make sure you assess the potential because like I said, my most typical proposal is three months 
most typical engagement is nine to 18. Exactly what you say. I get in there. We get to know each other. Mm -hmm. I start to see what I can do. They start to see what I can do. And it's really fun. You develop that relationship. I will make one point, though, is that I strongly believe as a consultant, your job is to do your work. And at some point, you get out and move on. Your job is not to make yourself indispensable to the day-to-day -day operations for an unlimited period of time. You want to do your superpower work, get your super pay, and then move on to the next place. Okay. Otherwise, you end up kind of having a job, right? right. So one of, the, one of the other things I learned that was really important is if you give all of your capacity to one client and take up residence, and by that I mean you occupy an office or a cubicle, you very quickly become a de facto employee. Mm -hmm. So that's not what consulting is about. Got it. That's, that sounds like a great piece of advice. Um, it makes a ton of sense. And I want to talk a little bit more about these contracts and engagements. How do you approach that? When you say three months, uh, I mean, how do, how do you come up with that to begin with? And then let's talk pricing. Do you charge by the engagement? Do you charge by the month? Do you charge by the hour? Uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of chatter around pricing and stuff like that uh, out there and proposals and how to submit them. So would love to hear your thoughts, Pr proposals, engagement lengths, how to charge. What, what do you recommend? Sure. So I am not an attorney. I don't give legal advice. And if, and I have, I know that, right. I don't know if I should tell you to plug your ears right now, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so for some of my legal friends out there, I don't Oh, you might want to not listen too carefully right now. But I honestly, I believe that a lot of it's built on relationships. And I don't get too wound up in trying to capture everything in a contract. Mm -hmm. um, I try to specify. And so in my proposals, I try to talk about goals, deliverables. I do give a lot of information, but it's more operational about what we're really going to do, what the right. results are going to be and how we're going to get there. Um, so I don't, again, um, I'll leave it to the legal professionals to, to give the advice on exactly what all should get, go into a contract. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe again, more, in, I, I mean, I know that, that you need to have contracts and so on, but I'm more interested in the relationship and the deliverables on the pricing side. That's a very interesting discussion because there's a feeling in the consulting world that the really professional higher end consultants don't charge by the hour. I mean, people who work at McDonald's charge by the hour, not professionals, right? But I will tell you that it's the easiest way to get started. Hmm. There are a lot of complicated pricing strategies that are around value and deliverables and um, fixed price projects and all that kind of stuff. And there is the potential to make a lot of upside money. If you can really sell based on value, but those really are advanced pricing strategies. So as much as some of my consulting colleagues give me a really hard time about this, I think it's perfectly fine to bill by the hour. And not only that, I think it's the easiest way to get started hmm. um, because it's hard. As I moved into those more advanced pricing strategies, the goal was to make a lot more, but the outcome was usually to make a lot less. It's just hard to predict how much time it's really going to take and what are you going to do? And you need to really learn to manage um, what we call scope creep. You know, the project yeah. starts out like this and then it starts to grow. So the exact reason why my three month project turns into nine to 18 months, it has to be managed really carefully and the expectations with the client mm -hmm. and the fact that that's going to cost them more money and how much more money. And it's hard to do that at first. Right. So I think it's fine, but most of the people that I work with, when I talk about hourly, I'm talking about $150 an hour or more. Right. So most people who are doing corporate type consulting are worth $150 an hour or more. So just because you're billing hourly doesn't mean you're not making a lot of money. And I also will say that if you happen to be in a sector or a skill set where you feel really confident in doing 
project or value-based pricing, then I say go ahead, but just, just be really careful because it's harder than it looks to really manage that process. Right. It makes sense. I mean, if you're working nine to five billing 150 an hour, you're doing pretty well for yourself uh, at the at the end of the year. But Amy, how so how does that typical three month engagement look like? Right. Because if if that engagement is full time hours, then or even if it's any set of hours, it's effectively a one time price. Right. You could do the math per hour. But you can also say, oh, 20 hours a week, $100 an hour for three months. It, the total price is Y, right? So how do you approach that or kind of make the decision whether you're going to go fixed fee or not? And then I'm also curious about even if you decide to kind of charge by the hour, is that what you put in the engagement? Or, or do you just kind of do it in your head and then put the final price on the proposal type thing? Yeah, so... I'll tell you how I do it, but I'll throw out there that there are an infinite number of pricing strategies and ways to approach pricing, mm -hmm. and there are whole books on it. But the way that I do it is that um, I get started. I want to make one really, 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 really important uh, point, and that is kind of in my top three mistakes that I don't want people to make. One of them is never give any one client full time. So I never give any one client more than the equivalent of 10 or 15 hours a week. Oh, now, wow. here's, an, here's another little twist that plays in. 30 hours a week is full time when you're a consultant because you need to do a significant amount of networking, marketing, and business development mm. to keep your pipeline full. Right. So this is a, a brief digression, but the way that my time stacks up, if I'm working full time as a consultant, I'm shooting to build 30 hours a week. I'm spending 10 to 15 hours a week on networking, marketing, and business development. Right. And like it or not, it takes an average of five hours a week for infrastructure and admin. Um, you buy a new computer, you incorporate, you need to do your taxes, you need to find health insurance, just whatever that stuff means. And at tax time, mm -hmm. it might be 40 hours in one week and no hours for a few other weeks. It's kind of an average. So I typically look to have sort of two major players at 10 or 15 hours a week going. The other thing that does is if all of a sudden this guy gets acquired and you're probably not going to be in the inside circle unless you're working on the acquisition, because that's always a really secret thing. So if that guy gets mm -hmm. acquired and you're suddenly done, at least you have this guy still going and then you have somebody else that you can chunk in so that it kind of avoids that old all your eggs in one basket thing. It also helps you maintain this kind of freedom, flexibility stuff, because if I'm only giving you part of my time, you assume I don't I never talk about my other clients when I'm talking to you. But if I'm only giving you a, an average of 10 or 15 hours a week, you're assuming that I'm working with other people. So if you say, oh, we have this emergency meeting on Friday, it's not a big surprise when I say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm not available on Friday. Now, for me, it might be because I'm chaperoning a third grade field trip. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm just going to tell you, or it really could because I'm in an all-day strategy session with somebody. For me, it's probably more likely that I'm chaperoning a third-grade field trip. Mm -hmm. But um, that gives you that ability to do that, kind of that expectation. Right. So what I do in my proposals, they're tricky. So here's another thing. When you write your first proposal, don't be surprised if it takes a lot of time. So my very first proposal that I wrote was for a 100-hour market research project in a, in a de medical device area that I had a ton of experience. It took me 40 hours to write that 100-hour right. proposal. <laughs> and I thought, um, this isn't going to work, right? If it's going to take... And so what I want to say to people out there is don't be surprised. The first couple are going to seem hard and they're going to take you a long time. It's going to get a lot easier after you write a couple. But mm -hmm. what I do is I kind of start with what are the deliverables? What are the results? What are the tasks that I'm going to do to get there? About how much time is each one going to take? So I kind of take a top down and a bottom up approach. And then so I think, how much time do I really think it's going to take? And here's a trick here. And for anyone who's ever been in an industry where you do by the bill, you do stuff by the billable hour. So um, 
you know, tax professionals, CPAs, even attorneys sometimes, you kind of come with how many hours you're going to take and then you add 40%. Because no matter how good you are, you're always under on how many hours you think it's going to take. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you're just like wrapping holiday gifts, you think you're going to do it in one night and every single time you're up until three in the morning when you think you were going to be done at 11. Mm -hmm. That's just the way things work. And I also put kind of on my customer hat. And I think if I were in the customer's shoes and I were buying this thing, you know, this project, about how much would I think it should cost? So it doesn't seem crazy. And then I kind of like shake those up and mix and mix and mix and come out with what I think is the best answer. And then I give it in kind of a range. So I'll give an estimate of what the range is. And I spell out pretty clearly what we're going to do and what we're going to deliver so that when it starts to go beyond that three month thing and starts to grow, which I really want it to do, then I have the framework to go back and say, okay, then we're going to do a bunch more of this. And this is what this is going to mean. Now, I will tell you that most of my clients, when we get to that point, they don't, they don't need to see anymore exactly how many hours they just say, okay, Amy. And, and, and I just say, you know, the way that we can do this is I here, I'll be really clear about all the deliverables and what we're doing kind of on a quick weekly basis as we go along so that you're really comfortable that we're making progress and really what we're doing. And I'll agree that I'll work 10 or 15 hours a week. I won't go over 20 unless we agree. So you can't give someone an invoice at the end of the month that has working 50 hours a week when you were kind of running at 10 or 15. So -hmm. you kind of set these, um, these limits, you know, that were kind of less than greater than what that does for the, for the client is if you don't need to do quite that much, then they don't have to pay for it. You know, they, they pay for what they use. And then on my side, I kind of have two projects going. So in terms of capacity, when one's really busy, I can pull back a little on the other one. And it can be a little scary sometimes thinking, oh, what's what if they both have a peak at the same time? But there's ways to manage it. And we can all work a couple of 80 hours a week. You know, we don't want to do that forever, but mm-hmm. you can do it a couple of weeks because then you might work a couple of 20 hour weeks, you know? So right. it kind of, that's kind of how I manage all that capacity. Did, the, did that kind of answer some of your questions? Yeah, that was, that was a great answer. And, and this has all been extremely insightful. Uh, kind of bringing things to a close, Amy, what would you say if, if someone was out there and they're working in corporate, maybe they've been doing it 10, 15, 20 years, they, they wanna break into, you know, consulting, let's just say kind of general, you know, business experience, what would you recommend they do? What, what are the first maybe two or three actionable steps that they should take or two or three, you know, hard strategic tips that you would give to them so that they could kind of get the ball rolling? Sure. So first, I just want to tell everyone out there, there's four things that you need to be a consultant. Spoiler alert, you already have all of them. You need a phone, a computer, business experience and brain power, right? All of you have that. So you already have what it takes. And then the best way to get started, because this is what I do and what I teach to everyone is the three action steps to generate revenue. Now put together your pitch, make your list, tell everyone that gets you generating revenue really quickly. And then you have kind of that, that, um, stability and security, which sounds funny when you have your own business, but you have some money coming in that as you're making that money, because you're billing 30 hours a week, you're figuring out all of that other stuff. Mm -hmm. So my whole approach, what I really want all of you to do is really focus on land a project, get a check in the bank. And the best way to approach that is with those three action steps, best way to get started. Yep, makes a lot of sense. And my last question, what would you tell someone maybe at the earlier end of their career, 
maybe they've just been working for a couple of years, maybe even you know one year in corporate or one or two years at a startup, but they say, this consulting stuff sounds great. I don't really want to work corporate in tech, you know, but I don't have that 5, 10, 15 years of experience. Any recommendations for them? Do they have options or what would you recommend that they do? Well, sure. So a, a couple of different scenarios there. There are people who are two or three years in and have enough experience. So I have uh, one woman in one of my programs who is an expert in sustainable packaging. Uh, so she good, had good only yeah. she had only two or three years of corporate experience, but she really was an expert in sustainable packaging. So that she was able to jump out and make a lot more money than I, I love it when people in my programs make more money than I do. <laughs> that's that's how I define success. So she's doing that. She's young and it's awesome. So there are specific, very folk, and this speaks back to focus that I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Very focused. Otherwise, honestly, the same things that you need to do to build your career corporate-wise and consulting are relatively similar. Do good work, always high quality get the best jobs that you can. Don't be afraid to do the jobs. Here's something maybe that is a little bit different twist. If you have the choice, although I would advise this earlier in your career, whether your, your goal is consulting or not, it's worth taking the job that's really gonna give you better experience and knowledge and mentoring for a little bit less money than always going just for the money. I think early in your career, make sure that you're fairly paid. But when I made those choices, they are always worked really well. Because mm -hmm. when I came out and started doing consulting, my, my experience was robust. The other is never burn a bridge, right? Mm -hmm. All of those relationships. And again, this is true, whether you're gonna stay corporate or consulting, because in the corporate world too, you get to a point in your career where all of your next jobs are going to be about relationships. It's not going to be right. about applying to a job online, which is a little easier earlier in your career. So, you know, doing good work, building good relationships with quality people, stay away from people. If something doesn't smell right, you know, move on. If it's unethical, stay away. All of those kind of things that make sense. I have kind of a little credo that I measure some of my business activities and it's never compromise your ethics integrity or the quality of your work and i think that really serves people well at any stage but early in your in your career if you really stick to those decisions then you're positioned for that great executive role or to do highly paid consulting right that's great. This has been this has been incredible, Amy. Thanks very much for coming on the show. And if people do want to learn more about you or hear some of your content, check out your website. Where do you recommend that they uh, check you out? Sure. So, I am. Um, you'll find me at billableatthebeach.com, and I talked about my three action steps to generate revenue now. I have a free email course called Three Action Steps to Generate Revenue Now. It's at my website that if it sounds, ooh, this sounds interesting, you really can just kind of stick a toe in the water, then that email course will walk you through it in a little bit more detail and a little bit more depth. Um, and then you can also find me hanging out on um, LinkedIn at Amy Rasdall. So those are the best places to find me. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on the show, Amy. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you want to join the Solopreneur Grind community, we recently started a Slack group for other like-minded solopreneurs who are starting or thinking about starting or are already well on their way to working on their own businesses. Doesn't matter the size. Make sure to check us out at solopreneurgrind.com slash join if you want to join this group. We're constantly sharing ideas, bouncing ideas off of one another, helping each other out in all areas of business and life and all that sort of stuff. Make sure to check it out, solopreneurgrind.com slash join, solopreneurgrind.com slash join. Take care and thanks very much for listening.